0: The American, Chapter 12, by Matthew C. McLean, a shorthand missile tale. The driver wasn't anything special, just another gypsy cab weaponized against his fellow plebes by disruptive technology and ruthless capitalism. Without an institution to back him up, though, it was a lot easier to convince him to talk about the Corsican. He had him dropped off in Grenoble, a neighborhood in the west, near the river. Between catching some sleep and waiting for the driver to become available, it rolled past noon before I got there. On the outskirts of town, the neighborhood would have been quaint if it had been better maintained. The buildings reached high off narrow streets, the same color as old town's terracotta roofs, but dingy and worn with neglect. The streets, once cobblestone, now roughly paved over, were littered with trash. Graffiti adorned most of the steel shutters that protected the closed shops. What shops were open had proprietors that looked more like caged animals than business owners. One of them, an indomitable Sikh with a brightly colored turban, pointed me towards the address on the note. It was a two-story brick structure that looked to be made of crumbling ash. Outside were a couple of scooters in various states of disassembly and what appeared to be a functioning motorcycle. There was a small, smudged placard stating, Petite Motos Moreau. Below this, it had small, twin roll-up metal doors that led into a garage, one covered with the obligatory neighborhood art. I wondered how the owner kept the local riffraff from wandering off with his inventory. I watched the shop for a while to see if anyone came or went. No one did. I listened in the quiet jungle of the neighborhood. The only sound was out of the garage, the tinny noise of someone working on metal with the occasional rattle. Fairly certain that whoever was working inside was alone, I crossed the road to the garage. The door was small enough that I filled most of it. Kneeling next to a well-worn Kawasaki was a person that I nearly mistook for a pile of laundry. Wearing gray, grease-stained coveralls was a man whose hair and skin nearly matched the dingy color of his clothes. Only his balding pate broke the monochrome. When my shadow fell on him, the sounds of tools stopped, a slight angling of his head indicating that he had noticed my presence. With a creaking of joints, he rotated towards me. His dark eyes examined me from top to bottom while he puffed on a hand-rolled cigarette lodged into the corner of his mouth. With his broad nose and iron-gray hair, I thought I could see a family resemblance to the Corsican, but I couldn't be sure. With no better introduction on hand, I said, Bonjour. He didn't appear like he'd be able to move out of his crouch quickly, but I remained in the doorway, blocking one exit. A quick glance showed there was at least one other one out the back. With a quiet confidence that made me more certain of the family resemblance, the old man took the cigarette out of his mouth and said something in French. I gestured around the small garage, asking, Are you the proprietor? He regarded me with narrowed eyes. "We. Oui. Two nights ago, a young man was dropped off here. You know him? I stepped out of the doorway and closer to the mechanic. Despite me looming over him, the grizzled old man replied in a casual tone. What does that matter to you? He got into some trouble at the casino. I tried to put some kindness into my voice. I'd like to see that he doesn't get into more. This produced the most animation so far from the old man who gave a derisive smile. You his big brother? Are you his father? I was utterly serious. He puffed on his cigarette. Maybe. What is the name of this boy you are searching for? I paused, stymied. I didn't even know that. The old man chuckled, rising with an audible series of pops from his knees and back. You don't even know his name. You beat on a boy like that without even knowing who he is? What kind of man are you? I shrugged. I'd asked myself that question more than once. You know that. You must have spoken to him. It was his turn to shrug. He came by. I gave him an ice pack and a place to sleep. He mentioned a big American ape had pushed him around. He gestured at me with a wave of his hand, leaving trails of smoke and little doubt how he had made the connection. In an attempt to change the subject, I ask, so you're not his father. Uncle, I nodded. His last name Moreau as well? The old man nodded before he caught himself, so I pressed further with. So where is he now? With some combination of relief and spite, he said, I don't know. He had three friends come down to the cafe by Los Malins to try and rough me up, I gave him a quick description of the three voyous. Any idea where I can find them? Several quick puffs of smoke announced some thinking. Why would I tell you that? I mixed lies and truths saying, your nephew is sticking his nose in some business involving Carlus Sartre. Do you really want that? The course again had been fooling around with Mitnick, but I didn't know if Moreau would recognize that name. I had a strong suspicion he'd know who Satre was. Moreau sighed heavily, one that gave off vapors of regret rather than surprise. He busied his hands by examining a wrench, rubbing grease off it. There is a club not far by the river called the Defectory. They hang out there sometimes. Since I had him talking, I followed with, He mentioned something about a girl. You know anything about that? This provoked a high, crowing laugh from the old man, mourning more than mirth, causing him to look up at the water-spotted ceiling. Eyes raised to whatever powers he believed in, Moreau asked, Lonzo, what have you gotten yourself into? As sad as it might be, that sounded like a yes to me. I was going to push for more information but a footfall behind me caught my attention. Two men came in through the open garage door, one so wide that he nearly had to turn sideways to enter. Both of them were dressed better than the neighborhood deserved, in black coats, one in a turtleneck, the other in a dark dress shirt with a flared collar that barely contained his bull neck. It took me a second to recognize brick and whip from the casino but it was enough time for them to get inside. I decided it was best to pretend not to know them. I put on my most earnest American voice and said, Heya, fellas, we're almost done here. As if they were here to talk about scooter repairs. Whip straightened himself to his full height. Standing as tall as Sophie, he would have some serious reach. He was still bruised on one side of his face from the beating he had taken. Both his cheek and the chip on his shoulder suffered from resulting swelling. These facts had the increasing possibility of becoming important as Whip said in passable English. where not he had to speak with him. Brick blocked the garage door and I thought about the exit out the back. Moreau tightened his grip on the wrench he was holding. Instead of rising to that tension I asked, What can I do for you? Whip smirked, bending the scar on his cheek. We are here to offer you a ride. Mr. Mitnick would like to speak with you. I considered playing dumb, but then thought better of it. I could run, but in this small space, it was anyone's guess as to how that might shake out. Besides, I had a few questions I wouldn't mind asking Mitnick. So I said, Okay.